It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Music Untapped, episode six. I'm Heather Wade. And I'm Chris Langton. Welcome. And this is Music Untapped. Yay. We're on court today. Today, fairly. <laughs> episode six. Oh my gosh. That's We're past halfway to ten. We are. Is that what we're counting to? I don't know. Oh, apparently we are. We're counting to ten. That's a, it's a milestone. It is a milestone. We cleared five. We did. And yes. I guess we could say like we're recording this one just one day after episode five. We so are. it's two days back to back of liver abuse. Yep. Well, not not abuse, but just it's been a little hard on our livers. I suppose. Casual mistreatment of our livers. It's fine. It's okay. Um, but today our drink of the day is. Um, we are drinking the People's Blend Red Wine from Kuhong Winery in Napa, which is actually my great uncle's winery. Which is so cool. I know, right? I'm like, oh. Heather rolls up to um, my place today for us to record and says, I have a present for you, but you have to carry it. And she has a case of this red blend, and it's hitting hard today. That's Yeah, no. You can drink wine in the middle of the day. Might as well do it right. Go all in. Today's episode is a conversation on... I guess women who have been overlooked throughout music history. Yeah. And the idea for this episode came about from actually just a conversation Heather and I were having. We were talking through some stuff and I was just like, hey, we haven't really talked about many women. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Although, you know, maybe because with the first episode, when we talked about the biggest assholes in history, probably a good thing. Like, yay women. We did not make the list. So. <laughs> women aren't the biggest assholes. Who no. would have guessed, right? Right. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> but we hadn't really discussed many women at all in our episodes. Even, like, talking about um, the biggest badasses. There are clearly badass women oh, yeah. from time. We, in some ways, I guess, fell prey to the standard problem with music and what researchers in general just overlooking women and right. so we thought why don't we make an episode about that because i think we can agree that most of the people we've talked about have been straight white men not yeah. all of them but most for sure definitely all men <laughs> so moving forward i guess we're trying to be a little more thoughtful about the stories that we tell yeah definitely because it's like what you don't say is just as important as what you do. For so sure. if we're leaving people out, that's just not the podcast we want to be, I think. I agree, yeah. And I think part of it, too, was when we're researching, like, because past research hasn't tended to favor women, you know, it's yeah. harder to find them. But if we don't look at women, then we're just perpetuating that cycle. Like, absolutely. Like, kind of have a duty to try and pull out those stories too you know yeah absolutely and because there's such a wealth of information about the most talked about people mm -hmm. it makes sense that maybe it would be a little more difficult to dig a little deeper but that's part of breaking a cycle i think yeah absolutely so that's our 
conscious goal moving forward is yeah. just a little more variety Yay. of people and faces and Definitely. who we're actually talking about. For sure. We're looking at overlooked women today. People like Amy Beach. She's a sort of, I would say, more well-known female composer than others. Right. I definitely, I have heard of Amy Beach, but also I'm a musician. Right. Exactly. Like, if you don't, like, live in the classical music world, probably not on your radar at all. Um, but I think, you know, even for being as relatively well-known as she is, mm -hmm. um, I thought it was so interesting that when she was writing music during the t time period where she was married, all her music is signed as Mrs. H.H.A. Beach, which is her husband's initials and last name. And the only reason we know it's by her is because of the Mrs. at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And he but, was what, a surgeon? He was a surgeon, yeah. So, you know, she was sort of held to this higher class sort of standard. standard. Um, she wasn't allowed to teach music lessons while they were married because it just wasn't appropriate for someone of her style. And she got limited to only performing two performances a year because it just wasn't acceptable to do more oh, than that. Oh, wow. That's pretty wild. Right? Yeah. But I guess you're right in that's a really good small scale illustration of what we're talking about is that the societal pressures faced by women across history, mm -hmm. really, a lot of the time caused them to be overlooked. And if people, if she hadn't won renown on her own, how would we ever know that Mrs. H.H.A. Beach was this revolutionary composer? Right, exactly. I actually have a really interesting story from okay. this, though. So we were researching just women in history who made an impact, but maybe you don't know their name. And I found this one that I had never even heard from ancient history. So we're mm. going to go way back okay. to the 800s. That is ancient history ancient history and we're going to talk about a woman by the name of Cassia of Constantinople. It's a great name. It is a really good name. <laughs> the the alliteration Cassia of Constantinople. <laughs> the earliest woman on our list and she was born in 805 in Constantinople okay she was the abbess so like the leader of an abbey of nuns she was a poet she was a composer and she had a pretty interesting life especially I especially like it because of how many times she was just like yeah fuck you I'm gonna do my thing <laughs> so she was born to a wealthy family and apparently the story says she's exceptionally beautiful and very intelligent she's just had it all wealth beauty and brains and the first historical record of her after her birth was she showed up at a bride show the emperor um he was a young guy but it was time for him to select a bride and so young emperor theophilos theophilos i'm gonna say i think it's theophilos theophilos yeah. Okay, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Theophilos went to select a bride. He walks around, and the way these bride shows works is he gives a golden apple to the woman of his choosing, and that woman is then his bride. It's like the first version of The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Will you accept this golden apple? <laughs> um, but she is there, and he walks up to her, um, very taken by her beauty. Wait, time out. 
Was she already the abbess of... No, 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 no. This no, no, is yeah. before that. Okay. I was just kind of running down, like, who she was eventually. Just clarify. Not yet an abbess. I say, that could be a little weird, but all right. This is her, her pre-nun okay. life. Uh, but he walks up to her and thinks she's pretty and strikes up a conversation. And they... This conversation is literally a biblical shit talk fest. <laughs> um Using biblical references, uh, he makes a reference to, um, making a reference to Eve and like original sin says, um, well, you know, through a woman came from all of the baser things of life, all of like the low rough parts of life. And without missing a beat, she responds with, and through a woman came the better things kind of being a reference to, um, the Virgin Mary giving birth to Jesus. So it's just like this little mini moment (laughs) of repartee. Uh, talking shit biblically at each other. And he was really pissed off that a pretty girl dared to talk back to him. And he kind of, I imagine him storming away in Mm -hmm. a huff and just chose a different wife. Yeah. And then that wife was the empress for quite some time. She sort of disappears from history. She shows up on the record books for just a moment in time to diss the emperor and (laughs) reject him. And the next time she shows up is in 1843. So she's like in her late 30s now. Wait, and she... 1843 or 843? Oh, 843. Okay. Okay, yeah. 843. Yeah, she shows up 1,000 years later. <laughs> she's a witch. <laughs> no, but in 843, she's in her late 30s. She founds a convent and became an abbess. That's where she becomes an gotcha. abbess. Gotcha, okay. And at that time, she was already a writer and an artist and a musician. Seems like she... Might have even created this convent to help guarantee the survivor, the survival and preservation of her work. She maybe just loved Jesus a lot, mm-hmm. but it there was like a project in the region of preserving music and putting together the liturgy and it seemed like she kind of wanted to be a part of that. So she shows up and has a pretty successful career as an abbess keeps writing music, writing verses and like hymns for performance in religious ceremonies. But then this emperor from earlier, Mm -hmm. Theophilus, asshole, he was an iconoclast. So he hates uh, religious symbolism and uh, icons in general and thinks they're um, too excessive and wants to purge them from the religious um, world, I sure. guess. Okay. He rolls up and decides that the kind of worshiping that Cassia is doing is not okay. And so suddenly she is being persecuted by this man she turned down like almost 40 or like years, years in the past, like 10 years past. Did he know it was her? Or I'm, I'm not sure whether it... it was like a direct thing or whether it was just like his systems that yeah. were persecuting her. But it was because of his decrees that she was, like, scourged and whipped to make her repent. And she was absolutely unrepentant. She just keeps talking shit. And her quote right there is saying, I hate silence when it's time to speak. She's like, I'm not going to keep quiet. Okay. That's a good quote. I know. I I hate silence when it's time to speak. Get it, Cassia. Yeah. But she kept writing music she didn't stop what she was doing and actually shortly thereafter the emperor died and then this process of uh, persecution against people who show religious imagery ended 
<laughs> so she was defiant from the moment she met him. She spoke up against it. She kept doing her thing, and then she outlived the little bitch of an emperor <laughs> and continued writing awesome stuff. She was known for combining her really spiritual poetry with music that was really complex for her time period. Like, multiple people singing at the same time, combining that with a drone. So, like, oh, a yeah. single... Just a tone. Just a tone that's sustained over time. And that was the earliest foundations of harmony, like we know yeah. today. Mm-hmm. So, she outlives him and goes on to have, like, a pretty successful life and left a pretty indelible mark on music, um, especially because she was able to have her works preserved. There yeah. are, like, something like 25 hymns of hers that you can still read and hear and perform and it all had to do with the fact that she was sort of unrepentant in living life how she thought it should be lived instead of how she was told to do things yeah that's so cool cool. yeah isn't that neat and that was the year 800 yeah so this sort of thing has been going on for a long time and I'm actually, my mind's kind of blown that I didn't even hear about her in my music classes. We all sort of learn about Hildegard von Bingen as sort of the earliest right. woman. Us people who study music yeah. do, at least. Yeah, for sure. And this is way before her time. Like, I'm surprised like that... Like, 400 years yeah, before. Yeah, I mean, I know that Hildegard's output is a lot. Mm-hmm. But, like, this, is, this isn't this is insignificant. Like, no, not it's... at all. And the stuff that Hildegard was praised for... Um, is a lot more complex than this, but sure. it's interesting to hear about revolutionary people on a more foundational level throughout history. Yeah, because so. they're super important. We Absolutely. wouldn't get Hildegard if we didn't have her. Definitely. I have a Czech composer to talk about. Czech. Yes. Uh, her name was Vitislava Kaprilova. Um, and it's, it's really a tragic story. She died so young. She was 25 when she died. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, nothing. And I think really that's what caused her to become sort of not as well known it's just she died so young she didn't have time to have do things and have yeah that. exactly but she did a ton in like her short life okay so she started composing when she was nine years old sweet yeah so everybody likes a prodigy. child prodigy i know right everyone is a fan of that um she studied music at music school she studied at the master school of prague conservatory and then later at the echo Ecole normale de musique in paris which oh. is like the big music yeah, school yeah. there so she wrote a lot of music in her short life she wrote a bunch of art songs a lot of keyboard music piano was definitely her thing stuff for like cello and piano and violin and piano some like small ensemble type things she wrote a cantata during that time. Okay. Well, uh, she's like basically a kid. Yeah, exactly. And then she wrote, her best known work is the Military Sinfonietta, just like a smaller symphony. Um, and at the time, World War Two would have kind of been getting started and all that, you know, in Europe was happening mm-hmm. and whatnot. And what's really interesting is the critical sort of look at the Military Sinfonietta is it sounds like it should be like very sort of militaristic, mm-hmm. but that's not really the theme of it. It's more about like how this like military sort of invasion affected the people like that's what the sound is trying to emulate is about the oh, people wow. as opposed to the military that's a really cool perspective that you don't normally get yeah i think that's my favorite thing about looking into music from you know not the same straight white man perspective if mm-hmm. you hear like oh what does it look like to hear music from somebody who was not one of the invading right people? yeah exactly it's a, it's it's gorgeous i was listening to it yesterday i know i hadn't heard it before 
Um, like I've heard her music before, but I hadn't heard this piece. And I was listening. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. This needs to go on my Spotify playlist. Like it's just, <laughs> it, it was, it's like a really beautiful piece of music. And she was, it was her like her I think project for ending her time in school. Like, so like basically her senior project. Yeah, is pretty this... much. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Right? So what did she do next? Um. So she kept writing. She was also a conductor. Um, she conducted one of her own piano concertos in 1935 okay. when she was only 20. I'm just like imagining Damn. me trying to conduct when I was 20 and it wouldn't have been good. So, yeah, I'm know. imagining me trying to conduct when I'm 30 and it's yeah. not that good well, you know. <laughs> you have time. You have another year to work that out, right? Yeah, another three months. Well, you know, it'll, it'll be fine. Um, she kept studying during that time. Um, she studied composition with this guy named Bohuslav Martinu. Okay. Um, and they actually like went on sort of tour together, I would say call it not exactly but they travel and performed or she performed and he went as like her mentor and stuff um it was kind of interesting whenever i was reading sources that were maybe more like official sources like on her the capralovo website and different Uh things like that um it only mentioned him as like her composition teacher but when i was reading more um like articles about her yeah all of a sudden it became oh maybe not just quite her teacher more like they were having uh quite an affair and he was married at the time, and, oh. um, I think had planned to like leave his wife, and they just couldn't do it in the end. Oh, it was just so hard for him. Yeah, so hard for him. So, um, so yeah, so her life was cut short tragically. She got married to someone else, and then just like a few months afterwards, she got really sick. Do and we know of what? Like, well, they they do now. It was misdiagnosed at the time, but oh, basically, shit. she had miliary tuberculosis. And she died oh. from that, yeah, at 25. Which is crazy. It comes out of nowhere, and then suddenly this uh, up-and-coming professional who has already done incredible things and is just hitting their stride is just... Yeah, done. Done for. Wow. So young. That's really sad. I know, I'd right? Pour some wine. <laughs> Drown your sorrows. I, not because I'm sad, <laughs> yeah. but because I want more wine. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know, it's just... It's, it's so tragic. Like, I can only imagine what she would have written if she lived longer. 25 is nothing. For sure. And I need to check out this composer, this woman. I haven't actually, I'd never heard of her before. On a slightly different note, though, I did find this really interesting story of a woman by the name of Memphis Minnie. Or at least that was her stage name. Oh, so it's quite a name. Yeah. <laughs> but she was, I guess you could call her one of the first female guitar heroes. All right. Yeah. I like her already. Right. So when you think about blues musicians, a lot of the time when it comes to female blues musicians, you think singers. Right. Right. So you think of a woman musician, but you don't think about a woman in the blues world, at least, being a badass guitarist. No. But uh, Memphis Minnie was. Her real name was Lizzie Douglas, and she was a total star of her day. This guy, who's going to come up a little bit later, but he was named uh, Big Bill Brunzi, said that she could pick a guitar and sing as good as any man he'd ever heard. Okay. So it's high praise at that time, I imagine. Uh, yeah. Well, and he'll come up in a moment. But she started young as a kid. She got her first guitar at age eight. But then her life takes this kind of wild turn just a few years later uh, because she, at the age of 13, runs away to join the circus. Huh. Yeah, literally, she left home and joins the circus. It's like the 
most cliche thing you can do that nobody actually does. Right, she but she it. was she <laughs> ran away and joined the Ringling Brothers Circus and uh, toured with them for a while. And as you can imagine, growing up that way, uh, she had kind of a a rough life in that way. Like I you're, it's that. not um, a nice house no. that she grew up in. She grew up on the road with kind of lower class people and realistically what that did was it made it so that she could really take care of herself right i have this quote from this guy johnny shines that said any men fool with her she'd go for them right away she didn't take no foolishness off them guitar knife pistol anything she could get her hand on she'd use it all right good for her i know and so this is a girl who had to grow up really fast but she did so with a guitar in her hand and so Almost in that Jimi Hendrix sort of way, by sheer persistence and virtue of being consistent and having to earn a living, it made her really, really good. She had a duo with her husband, and they recorded as a pair for years. They were discovered by Columbia Records, and they produced their stuff. That's actually, I think, where she got the name of Memphis Minnie, and he was like Joe some other place. (laughs) Joe Tennessee or some shit. But she tu- uh, after they divorce, she starts touring, performing, going all over the place. And this guy, Bill Brunzi, who just said she could pick a guitar as well as any mm-hmm. other man, he actually, the reason why we have this quote is because he lost to her in a contest. There is this guitar contest, and she beat the shit out of him. And that's why she's like, well, she's as good as any man. Um, another guy called her the best thing going on in the woman line. So she was, I guess, like, they had separate categories yeah. and, like, strata of musicians. You had the men and the women. Sure. But she, among the women, was the best of the best. And in a lot of ways, well, from that contest, we can say better than some, like, pretty good, well-known yeah, dudes at the time. Yeah, sounds like it. Her life continued. She kept gigging, kept doing the thing. She started playing electric guitar in 1941 and recorded a couple of songs that actually made an impression on music history, which is pretty cool. She recorded this song, um, Me and My Chauffeur Blues. Which was then taken on by Jefferson Airplane and they covered it and made a little bit more of a well-known version of this Me and My Chauffeur Blues. But that was just one of the tunes that she did. Actually, there's one that's even more famous that was then picked up. She recorded this song, When the Levee Breaks. And When the Levee Breaks is actually a really, really famous one. It was picked up, it was covered by Led Zeppelin, you know. Wow, yeah. Led Zeppelin's a big deal. And their version is extremely well known. But after that, she just kept doing her career. She had a couple of songs that got really mainstream in that way. She kept recording, she kept playing guitar. But then in 1960, she suffered a stroke. Oh. I know. And after that stroke, I guess she wasn't really able to work anymore. She couldn't really play. She couldn't really make any 
more music. And since she can't work, she does, you know, the classic musician death, falls slowly into poverty. Oh. And in 1973, so 13 years later of the slow decline, she finally dies poor and impoverished of a second stroke. Oh, God. I know. And this is a woman who, she was out making music for a yeah. long time in this badass way, defeating guys in contests, um, writing music that was not popular on its own, but picked up by big groups. And it's an example of a place where like women's voices couldn't be heard until they were amplified by some man to say right. what they said in the first place. Yeah. Stupid. Totally dumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have our last person. Um, so, uh, oh, who we got? Nadia Boulanger. Nadia Boulanger. Yeah, she's very French, for oh. sure. Oh. Um, so she was like a lot of these people, sort of this multi-talented person. She was a conductor and an organist and composer, um, and probably is actually best known for being a teacher of composition. Okay. Um, so she actually had this uh, sister, Lily Boulanger, who is probably better known as a composer than Nadia was. I see. Um, she's very talented, um, won awards for her compositions and whatnot. Um, and uh, she actually died really young. She died in 1918. And when she died, Nadia decided that she wasn't going to compose anymore. She just like, oh, she thought that okay. like her work was, she called her work useless compared to Lily's. Wait, how old was Lily Boulanger when she died? Do oh, I don't. I don't have it in my notes, but she wasn't that old. Okay, okay. Because um, Nadia was only, let's see, 21, 22. Oh, okay. And I think Nadia was the older one. Um, oh, shit. So, yeah, she was she was young. So she had, like, this very gifted younger sister. Yes. Who, when she died, Nadia was just like, I can't do it anymore. Right. And Nadia was super gifted, too. Like, I've sung some of her art songs, and they're, like, beautiful they're mm-hmm. so pretty and what other absolutely nothing to be like oh, this is terrible compared to lily's um but i think lily just got like so much acclaim that Nadia was like eh, this is, right you know oh man that's I, that's really sad i know right um so so lily died um and so she stopped um writing music at that point in her life she okay. was super young but she kept teaching composition um that was definitely her sort her, of her thing thing yeah um and she started to like really make a name for herself um as a composition teacher um she taught her lineage is kind of insane like this french okay. woman teaching composition um so what her first like big name student was aaron copeland Okay, and Aaron Copeland is, um, if our listeners don't necessarily know, probably one of the most preeminent American composers. Yeah, of all time. I think he's really sort of like the first like big classical American and composer. He almost invented the American sound in music. Yeah, you know, he was big about kind of incorporating that folk song sort of sound into his compositions. A right. Lot. Like, you listen to, like, Appalachian Spring and stuff. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of those. And almost like this, like, Wild West sort of sound, mm-hmm. too, is his invention. Yeah. And he was one of her students, one of her I had first no students. idea. Yeah, right? But it gets, like, crazier than all these students that she put out. Um, 
Mark Blitstein, who wrote The Cradle Will Rock, um, which was this big musical in the 30s that was, it got a lot of fame because it was pro-union and it actually got shut down. Oh, um, like anti-union yeah, people were just yeah. like, get this fucking propaganda off well, our stage. Well, the story about that in itself is insane. Like, they shut it down, so they took the cast and, like, the piano up to, like, some other, like, small theater venue um, somewhere that wouldn't get shut down and performed it in this, like, small space. I don't think it was even a theater. Like, it was, or it was a theater, but like, it didn't have enough stage space to, like, the cast did the their parts, thing. like, from the audience. Oh, and wow. the pianists had to, like, take the orchestral parts and just, like, condense them down into this thing on the fly to perform it. So, um, one of her students wrote this musical. Yeah. And they closed the hall to try and prevent it. And then they were just so pro-union that they went and, perf- they're like, well, fuck you we're guys. Do it, anyway. do it yeah, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So, he, yeah. So, he was one of her students. Um, let's see. Who else? Quincy Jones was okay. one of her students. Just was, like, Huge producer now. Yeah. Um. Let's see, uh, Charles Strauss, who wrote Bye Bye Birdie, uh-huh. which is a big musical. Um, Joe Raposo, who wrote a lot of the music for Sesame Street, was one of Jesus, her. Jesus, that's right. Pretty, it's crazy to hear all of these names going through and making waves, and all of them have this root of Natalie Boulanger. Yeah, Nadia Boulanger. Mm-hmm. Nadia so Boulanger. Yes. Damn it. <laughs> Almost. Damn it, wine. Right. Um, yeah, it's this lineage is kind of nuts. Um, she actually rejected George Gershwin as a composition student, but for the best reasons, because he went and tried to get her to teach him, and she looked at his stuff and was like, "There, I have nothing to teach you. Like, and she's like, I, no, you're good. You're Just good. Keep doing this. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like the highest compliment. That's pretty good. Nadia Melanchie to be like, no, mm-hmm. you're good. You don't need oh, yeah. And George Gershwin, his most famous was probably Rhapsody in Blue, would we say? Yeah, I think that's probably the best known. Yeah, he wrote so much stuff. So much. But... One of the other stories that I love is that um, Philip Glass was one of her students also, who's okay. this very sort of minimalist modern classical composer, yeah, I would say. Minimalism, we could say, is just like um, using overlayered patterns um, that repeat and subtly morph and change over time, if we're going to really simply describe it. Yeah. well known in like the modern classical world i would say everyone kind of knows who philip whether or not you like him but like you know who he is Mm -hmm, Um, so he studied with her and at her at their first meeting together he brought you know some sheet music of his that he'd written his composition stuff and she just like was leafing through it silently so it's like super uncomfortable like while he was waiting for her to look through "Hmm." like silently (laughs) judging his work pretty much um so finally, finally, after like sitting there in this silence, super uncomfortably for a while, she points to 
one bar of the music. So just one little tiny, tiny snippet. Mm-hmm. And says to him there, this was written by a real composer. It's like, for this one <laughs> moment when you were writing all of this shit, yeah. you were a real composer. The rest, yeah, you suck. Right. It was like the most backhanded compliment right. ever. Um, and he even said that that was apparently the first and last time she said anything nice to him during Jesus. their entire time working together. She seems pretty hardcore. Yeah, right? She's like... I know what I'm doing and I'm going to tell you all how to do it. Um, but yeah, she was, you know, she was just, her lineage is just so fascinating. And at the right. same time, she was like still conducting. She was the first woman conductor of the Boston Symphony, the New York Philharmonic, and the Philadelphia Orchestra. Those are all huge. Yeah. The crazy thing talking about her students for a moment is how different they all sound. It's it not is. like there's this like influence of Boulanger in there. It's like yeah. They all have very distinctive styles Absolutely. and sounds, too. For sure, because I know, like, a lot of times when you, like, work with a composition teacher, sometimes that influence bleeds into your music, just because, I mean, that's natural. That's yeah. a very normal thing. But, yeah, I mean, Quincy Jones doesn't sound like Aaron Copeland. Who doesn't sound anything like Glass. Right. Totally nice. different. That's really cool. Right? So, what happened to Boulanger, then? Well, she... She lived this very full life, actually. I mean, she's probably one of the the happier stories, I suppose. You know, okay. she didn't quite get the claim for her work necessarily, but she had this great lineage. Um, she uh, actually became the director of the American Conservatory of Music in Paris in 1949, um, and um. And she lived there basically her whole life. She died at like 79 years old. She was very old when she died. Okay. So she lived, you know, she... Like a long, fruitful life yeah. of inspiring and shaping some of the most iconic composers of the 20th century. Yeah. Oh, she was older than 79. Ooh. She was... She was a lot older than 79. She was in her 90s. Just kidding. Oh, she damn. died in 1979. There we go. Oh, okay. I'm reading my notes wrong. Um, <laughs> All good. Yeah. So yeah, so she had this very long fruitful life just maybe not with as much acclaim as Mm -hmm. yeah and like um i have heard of her before i had no idea that she had such a broad influence across time yeah you hear her name mentioned every now and then but no one ever like lingers on it necessarily to say anything but yeah i mean she just had her hand in sort of all these yeah huge people badass behind the scenes yeah cool right nice um and I guess that brings us to the end of our episode. I think so. Yeah. I've, there are always so much more, but we just only talk about a few people. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you. As usual, follow us on social media. And share our stuff if you feel so inclined. Yes. You can hit us up on Facebook at... Untapped, Untapped Podcast. Pod. Or switch, yes. or just search for us. That's Music Untapped. Yeah. And then on Instagram as music.untapped. Yeah. Or if you want to send us a longer message, you could hit us on Gmail at... Untappedpod at gmail.com. Untappedpod at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for everything. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Cheers.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.